Hey everybody, David here. I got a special little episode for you today. Um, this week is a special week, but to be totally honest with you guys, not a special week in a positive way. Uh, if you are a longtime listener or if you follow us on social media, you'll know that um, this is you know a very it's it's a very hard week for the SWAT family. Um, it was this week that their son Corey had passed away on July 9th, 2015. So this week we took Heidi and the SWAT family and we told them to enjoy themselves, spend a lot of time as a family. And so we're taking a week off the podcast with them. But what we're doing instead is we're going to share with you guys, all of our regular listeners, um, one of our Patreon episodes. And if you haven't heard about us, we're uh, on this platform called Patreon. It's where you pay $5 a month and we give you guys questions and answers, bonus content. And this is our very first, what we're calling LTF sessions. So we're going through some of the very original episodes that we had. And we were originally supposed to do a workbook off of our like very off of our principal um, podcast we had in the very beginning. And these were the podcasts that were our staples, the podcasts that still to this day have our most downloads from. And so we had promised a workbook for those podcasts to break down in more depth because a lot of people tell us, hey, we got to listen to your podcast five, six, seven times just to kind of get all the pieces and put in order. So that's what this episode that we're posting here on our normal podcast is about. It's sharing our first LTF sessions is what we're calling it. And that is the breakdown of one of our, in fact, I think it might be our most downloaded episode. It's guilt versus shame. And so I hope you enjoy this special episode on a very difficult week here for us over at Light the Fight. So our heart goes out to the SWAP family. Um, my heart goes out to all of our listeners, anyone that's ever lost anyone um, to suicide or anything tragic. Um, well, anytime you lose someone, it's tragic. So for all those people out there that are mourning and going through the, the loss of loved ones, our heart is with you as it is with the SWAP family at this time. Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. Hey guys, just want to remind you that we have an amazing community sponsor, community partner, and that is 1-800-CONTACTS. So if you happen to be looking for contacts, their contacts are the bee's knees, the bomb. If you're from my generation, thebomb.com, you know what I'm saying. So 1-800-CONTACTS, please visit them. They've been our biggest supporter, and without them, we wouldn't be able to bring to you this lovely podcast ear excitement and sometimes some depressing conversations, but all for the good, even when it's sad and deep conversations. We always get to the good, sweet stuff. Just like 1-800-CONTACTS, they get to the good stuff and their customer service, I can personally say, is unbelievable. We'd also like to let you guys know that here at Light the Fight, we have a special promo code. If you're looking to get some customized glasses, when I say customized, they will send you five different pairs for you to try and then decide on your own which one is best for you. I'm actually going through the process right now, and that is through Lingo Eyewear. And you can get a custom pair of prescription eyeglasses just the way you like them. In fact, there's a lot of cool styles out there I didn't even know they had. So check that out. It's at liingoeyewear.com. 
and use promo code LIGHTTHEFIGHT. Hey, all you patrons out there. Welcome to sessions, Light the Fight sessions, numero uno. Uno, Number right. one. It's We're very about, exciting. Let's log this one down. Let's get it out there and hut, hut, hike. Okay. Now, because this is the first one, just so that you know, you will be able to access the PDF that we're going to be talking about right here in Patreon. So you can download it, print it out. Um, you well, we prefer that they print it out right now and take yes. some notes as they're listening. Yes. Cool. So we should, we should probably say that when we post it. Like download it and have it ready. Um, because this is all, this is my dreams coming true, right? You guys know that I'm a journaler. You know that I like to write. Um, and here's the problem. I've been telling you guys this for a long time. I just cannot retain. Oh, your problem. Okay. I thought you were telling their problem. No. Okay. I'm like, what's problem, the <laughs> I think that there might be other people that feel the same way. That just, you might not be alone. Like when we're talking, when we do some of our episodes, it's just hard to remember all of the different things that we talk about. Um, and so, and I might be the only one that does this, but when things are mapped out on a page um, and I write and I'm taking notes, it's easier for me to remember because I like visualize them on the page. I don't know. This is me like projecting my issues onto you guys. But here's what we've done. We've created, I've created, David didn't do anything. <laughs> He just came and he wore a wolf shirt, so that was good enough. Um, but what you're getting is basically like a visual outline um, of what we're about to talk about. We are going to be breaking down, for our very first session, we're going to be breaking down our second episode ever called Shame Versus Guilt. And when I went back and started listening to it, David, I was like, okay, there's so much in, <laughs> in here. And I took three pages of notes. That's good. That's good. Remembering it. And um, I don't know. It also didn't sound foreign to me. Like it sounded like stuff that I knew. <laughs> well, and I, I really like that you chose this one. Obviously, this is one of our largest downloaded episodes of all time. And I don't think it's just because shame is something that's new because thanks to Brene Brown uh, around 2011, 2012, people got very familiar with shame. And then since then, shame, vulnerability, all these things have even become more of like a, a common thing you'd hear people talking at a dinner table at a party, right? And so by no means we're trying to reinvent the wheel and say, everything you learned about shame and guilt, forget about that because we got the better stuff. Everything you've learned about shame and guilt in the past, great. We just want to add a little bit more to it just to kind of expand your knowledge, your understanding, and more importantly, so that you can apply that information in practical ways in your relationships. So just to give you a little bit of context to this actual episode, um, I wanted to start here because when Corey passed away and we very first started meeting, um, my perception of shame and guilt was that it was the same thing. It was interchangeable words. Kind of like intelligence and street smarts. <laughs> they almost seem almost like same. they're the same thing, right? Right, but different... The same but different. Pull back the covers and look a little bit closer. There's a lot of intelligent people that don't have any street smarts. <laughs> right. Anyways, and there's continue. a lot of straight, street smarts people. That, that aren't very intelligent. Not, exactly. Not intelligent at all. Exactly. <laughs> so what we wanted to do, um, so let's just start out. We're going to start out just talking about guilt and shame and some of the things that differentiate them. 
Okay, so David, since you're, you know, the therapist, mm-hmm. why don't you give us some differentiation about guilt and shame? You, if you want to see my notes that I took. Well, thank you for writing notes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever looked at notes ever in this podcast. So no, um, just real, real basic. And some of you may have heard this before. Some of you may not, but I think it's, it's important to start with this is just defining what's the main difference between the two. Guilt is easiest remember, easiest. Okay. That's, you get what I'm saying? Remember street, street smarts, smarts, not intelligence. Okay. <laughs> guilt. You can remember the easiest by recalling guilt as being something that you did. Right. So you feel bad about something that you did. You, you know, stole something from your brother when you're a kid and later on you felt bad about it. You screamed at your yeah. kids. You screamed at your kids. You missed your best friend's birthday and totally spaced it and forgot to even wish them a Facebook happy birthday. Right. Like you feel guilty because you did something. You bad. have to know better. Exactly. You have to know that you did something wrong. Exactly. Shame differs from guilt in the sense that shame isn't something necessarily that you first think that you did. It's more along the lines of you're seeing a pattern in everything in your life and the only common factor is you. So then you start to think, okay, I'm the problem. So instead of I'm doing something wrong, I'm what's wrong. So shame is I did. I mean, guilt is I did. Shame is I am. That's the easiest way to remember the difference between the two. I did and I am. Now, when we talk about shame versus guilt, um, when we're talking about comparing them against each other, guilt can be a great way to bring people to, you know, feeling really apologetic. Guilt can, you know, bring people to want to be better, to, to, to feel like, hey, you know, I, that, that, that's not me. I'm, I'm better than that. I don't like, like feeling this way. I don't like way, feeling this way. And so, so I'm going to change. I, I, think, I think the cool thing about guilt is that it can actually be a great motivator for self-progression and change. However, guilt can also really morph itself into shame if you're not careful. So if you make enough of the same mistakes, then you start to think, well, gosh, I must be the mistake because that's an easily an easy conclusion. When someone is feeling guilty and they keep on doing that thing and they feel bad about doing that thing and they recognize that they're the common factor in all their life, that they're making lots of other mistakes, then it turns into a narrative and a story versus looking at every situation individually. I did something horrible. I am a horrible person. And then they go to work. It's like, well, of course they're not giving me a raise or of course I didn't get that new promotion because I'm not smart enough. Of course I didn't get that person to say yes to me when I asked them on a date because I'm not attractive enough. Then it becomes a narrative and it becomes their identity. And, and we all know people, maybe you're one of those people. I, I can say without a doubt, I've been that person before. Where I'm like, you know what? I really like like being the, no, I wasn't thinking at the time I liked having all the shame, but man, it was like a really great blankie. You know, when you're a kid and you have that blankie and you're like, it just makes you feel comfortable and safe. But when you're an adult and you have a blankie, it's not a good look, right? So as adults, we want to be able to, like, it's not fair because our kids say it's not fair and they get away with murder. Why can't we just like not show up as a parent because it's not fair? Right. So as we start to get this narrative and this story of like, I have shame, everyone that says something to me, I take it in a shameful way. It really is a way to opt out of working on self progression and looking at the things that are undesirable or that needs to be changed in your life and looking at them as either they don't exist 
or you build up another story to convince yourself why you shouldn't put in the time and effort to change it because if you're not good enough, you can put all the effort into it and it won't change anyways. Right. And so it, shame it, you kind of think this this is just I'm yeah. stuck with this. Yeah. This is just who I am. No matter what I do, I can't do better. I may as well. So I may as well not even try. And everybody, and shame is not exclusive to anyone. Shame doesn't care what religion you are, what race you are. You can pay all your taxes, read all the scriptures in the world, you know, do whatever, donate to charity. You're still going to have to deal with shame. That's why I refer to it as the shame game. Everybody plays the shame game, but not everybody knows how to win the game because it's a constant game that's happening throughout our life. And sometimes it's a really tough game. And other times, it's a great way to propel us to greater heights. As I heard once before, shame is one of the most effective vehicles to get people to increase improvement and to like propel them into like maybe a new career or um, losing weight or doing something that's life changing. Shame can actually propel people to get there. I know so many people where someone said something shameful about their weight. A good friend of mine had this conversation with me recently, not a client. I said, hey, man, remember when my friend said that one thing about you? It was a conversation that was overheard. I was talking to a friend on the phone. He made fun of my other friend from being out of shape and this and that. My friend happened to be in the room and heard it. I was worried that it was going to hurt him because he is really out of shape and not half the man he used to, or he's double the man that he used to be, right? I come back six weeks or six months later because I haven't seen him in six months. He's lost 65 pounds. I'm going, what is up with these exercise and taking his life serious? And he goes, remember that conversation? I go, yeah. He's like, after I heard that, I was like, I'm going to lose the weight. Here's the difference though. Shame can trigger the momentum, can start the vehicle, but you got to be careful how you fuel it. Because if you use shame to get you out of like a difficult place where you're feeling woe is me and feeling bad for yourself, that can be a positive thing. But if you start to embellish the shame, and once you get there, then you're looking for someone else. It's like, who else is shaming me? I have someone else to prove wrong. That's when it can get really toxic. I, I know lots of successful people that because they're poor, because they're broke, because they're made fun of, because they didn't have nice cars or nice things. You look at them now. I got a couple friends. They're very wealthy and they were like the poorest kids I knew. So they would say that shame of being embarrassed of not having things drove me to this point. But once you get to this point, what do you do when you get there? Are you going to continue to look for more things to be pissed off and angry and shameful for? That's where it gets tricky. So with the shame game, I do not want people to think that having shame is a bad thing in and of itself. Now, shaming someone. Okay, so that's a super. Let's, can we just put. Please, we'll stop. I there, just yeah. want to put a little emphasis on that. And and if you look over on the right hand column, three boxes down, <laughs> um, there's an important quote here that David said in that original um, podcast that I want to really put a highlight on. And he just kind of brought it up again. And I really like this because we all have shame about something. And so the shame is not shameful. It's not shameful to have shame. It's a human condition, right? And so I think- It's like money is not evil. It's money. We need it. Right. It's part so, of it's part of it's, it's part, part of our day to day to day life. Now, are you obsessing about that money? Is that money how you control people? Well, then that might be a different story. Right. Um, as I was listening to you talk about that, one other distinction, important distinction between guilt and shame came up 
in in my mind um when we're thinking about shame we don't feel like we're in control of the shame right it's something that's happened to us maybe we feel and and we'll talk more about the victim thing but shame can feel like this is other people's fault whereas guilt you you recognize that you did something wrong and and so sometimes it's I, I think that's another way to look at it like with guilt you're like okay I did that I gotta fix it and shame is like well that wasn't my fault and so I'm screwed type of a thing anyway that just kind of but I really I really like that thought that shame doesn't have to be if the goal oh, yeah. isn't to, to get rid of the shame or not have shame. It's just to use it. Yeah, that's why I use the analogy of money. It's like there's a lot of people that myself included when I was younger and you know my family was broken down money where I looked at people that had money as if like something was bad about them. Like, oh, they're just rich people. They're this. They're that. Right? And so it, it's very similar to shame. It's like having shame is not shameful by definition in and of itself. Having shame, since it is something that people will shame us, will shame ourselves, right? Having shame is something that really is an invitation to ask ourselves how we really feel. Now, if someone shames us, and especially if you're a young kid, it's a lot more challenging if someone shames you. But as an adult, if someone shames you, you have a couple different choices how you want to take that. And it can be an invitation, like I said, to look at ourselves a little bit deeper and if we look at ourselves a little bit deeper and say, hey, you know, I wasn't really warranted or it wasn't really valid what that person said because I may not be perfect, but I know myself enough to know that what they were trying to make me feel bad about, I shouldn't feel bad about, then it may cause you to look at that person and say, okay, well, shame denied. I'm not going to accept it. I felt it. I saw it. I heard it. But I think differently. So now that person takes on a different category as that person becomes a person where you don't necessarily need to protect yourself from that person, but you need to put that person in a category of if this person continues to, to do some shameful things or try to put shame on me to make me feel like I should be feeling bad about something, then this person might be a person I may not want to share vulnerable thoughts and feelings with. Mm-hmm. Because being vulnerable, as Brene Brown and people talk about, being vulnerable is the kryptonite to shame. But you can't be vulnerable with everybody. You you can't put your thoughts and feelings out there to your frenemies or to your competitors, right? So shame really gives us a chance to choose who's on my team, who's not on my team. And if you conclude that someone is shaming you and they're intentionally trying to knock you down, it doesn't mean that you're a victim. It doesn't mean that you need to hide and run and protect yourself from that person immediately. But it does mean that that person should go on a different list of someone that you got to keep an eye on. Because if they continue to do this, that relationship does not have any credit. They don't have credit with you. Their their opinions, their their, uh, views on you really lose value because there's someone that is trying to put their shame or their perception and give you a story that you don't agree with. So let's just take that example and think about a parent-child where a parent is being a shamer. And a child is like, look, I can't trust you. I can't come to you. You're not on my team. 
Yeah, well, I'm going to open up to you if you just kick me while I'm down and, and remind me of all the things I feel horrible about, right? You know, and I think, I don't know, this is something I was I was really, really good at being a shamer. Um, I used it to try to get people, my people, my kids, to do what I wanted them to do, to behave, to act to believe and it's also it's also the same thing it's also an opportunity for them to show their loyalty to you right because <laughs> when you shame someone and they get back in line they say okay i'm sorry sir i'm sorry mom i didn't mean to do that i didn't mean to do that then you're seeing that okay they're loyal to me now granted it's not always the best way to get you know you know family and community right. loyalship in fact i wouldn't suggest it but it is a natural thing that people specifically parents will do with their kids it's the typical like guilt trip that they that moms would give it's not a guilt trip it's a shame trip mm -hmm. right like you're intentionally trying to make them feel bad for the way they made you feel right now when parents do that it is basically like a peer doing that to a peer it's not parents aren't modeling anything positive or self-promoting like growing like they're not modeling any progression or growth for their child when they're getting the habit of shaming them. We've all shamed our kids, but if that becomes your go-to to get your kids to learn, listen to you and take you seriously or care about you, it's going to fall flat because shaming is not an effective tool to use to get people to show loyalty and to show love. Okay. Now, before we talk about the shame game, because I'm, I'm going to want you to kind of define what you mean as a shame game. I want to, kind of share a light bulb moment that I discussed in our original episode. And when I learned about the difference between guilt and shame, I started actually hearing people, my kids, friends of mine, coworkers, start to use these types of, this language. I'm so stupid. I'm so dumb. I'm such an idiot. I'm horrible at this. I'm a terrible person or, you know, whatever. Because it kind of is part of just our society to sort of be self-deprecating. And there's a difference between kind of like, ha, 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 I'm so dumb, to your third grader sobbing because he is in the lowest group in his class and literally people are calling him dumb. And so he is now identifying as a dumb person. Um, so here's where the light bulb moment came for me. I realized that as I was hearing, I'm so stupid. Nobody likes me. That me just saying, you're not dumb. You're not stupid, but you're not stupid, but you're not stupid. That wasn't really helping. What helped was for me to separate what he was feeling or what he was thinking from the reality, which is just because you don't understand this math problem or just because you can't spell this word doesn't equal that you're stupid. You're struggling with this math concept. You're struggling with this spelling words you're struggling with reading this you know this that and the other it's not that you're stupid it's just that you haven't finished learning this and as a mom and as a friend as a sister as a 
coworker. Coworker. Yeah. When you hear people making these shame, shameful statements about themselves, maybe when they've had a failure, they've had a breakup, they've gone through something difficult, this is an opportunity for you to kind of break those apart and say, you know, I don't think it's that you're actually a horrible person. You know, this happened, and of course you feel bad. That doesn't make you a horrible person. So that was kind of one of my biggest light bulb moments is that when you, when you start to really listen and you hear these statements being made, you have the ability to kind of create a separation. Yeah, um, I'll add on that by just talking about the shame game. Okay. Um, winning the shame game means sometimes you have to outsmart. Like with any game, there's rules within the game. Define what you okay. mean about shame game. Okay. Because you Every, use this term a lot. Everyone, everyone is battling shame and insecurity, self-doubt throughout their life at any given time, right? Some days we're feeling really great. Some days not so great, right? So we're all part of this game, but not a lot of us realize that this is a game that we can actually improve upon, that we can win at. We usually think that if we have these feelings, the feelings must be warranted. We have plenty of information and proof and, and, um, and things that we've done in our life to validate that shame. And so it's easy for us to just go, oh, I'll just surrender and I'll just accept that I'm defeated. We don't understand that this is a game. If it's a game, it can be won, it can be lost, it can be played. You And you learn way more from a loss than you ever do from your wins. Right. And so we'll get into the tool, a couple tools about this in just a second. But when I talk about the shame game, when I give someone the example of guilt versus shame, guilt as I, I did, shame as I am, I also start talking about it when they give me a, a situation in their life where someone shamed them or they're feeling horrible about something, I will ask him, are you guilting or are you shaming? And it brings them back to the definition because sometimes we mistake that someone else is actually really shaming themselves when in reality they've learned this little trick to be like, I suck, I'm stupid, what the hell is wrong with me? And then it kind of loosens them up a little bit. They get light and they say, well, I, best, I better make this better because it ain't going to fix itself. Well, that wasn't actually shaming. That was guilting to propel yourself to take action. That's why I said like this little fine definition, like you can actually take what should be shame and flip it around and use it to motivate yourself. Then in actuality, the shame becomes a tool instead of a detriment. But it all depends upon how you're going to play the game at that moment. Now, for some people, they're really shaming themselves. If you, the listener, do not have control and a good competency of what shame does to you and what guilt does to you, you may jump in and try to save them from a scenario that they have to figure out and work out. They just needed your support from. This is what happens usually with parents. Kids are beating themselves up. They're feeling guilty about something. A parent goes, oh my gosh, I can't let my poor little Susie or Johnny feel horrible about themselves and I have to jump in and I have to tell them that how, no, they're not stupid, they're not this and they bring all their intense energy to try to convince them that that's not who they are and the kid's looking at them and saying, well, I'm just venting and now you kind of went off on all these subjects that reminded me a bunch of things that I don't feel good about my life and like, gosh, now it sounds like you're scared of what I just said. <laughs> Why are you scared of what I just said? Because in a child's mind, or adolescent's mind, 
it could be blown off steam and they're just emotional. But based upon the reaction, if you're not comfortable with your kid even having shame and having self-doubt, then you're going to overreact or even worse, you're going to add to the shame. You're going to say, well, I was the one who told you if you didn't do your homework, you're going to fail at class. See, now look what happened. Okay, you don't need to add shame on that time, and you also don't need to interpret a Hardest narrative ever. and and try to convince them that those feelings of shame is something that you'd be scared of. If you're comfortable with it, you can sit there and you can use this tool that we're about to share with people. And even though we've talked about this tool before, this is a foundational principle tool. So we're about to share with you is the and. And is a principle tool to help pivot and turn a conversation or you can give a response that is not shaming the person and it's not trying to save the person. It's allowing the person to feel what they're feeling, but you just give a little nudge in a direction of self-progression, like pointing in a direction, hey, where I know we're losing this part of the game right now, but if you just change a couple words here, you'll see that we're only in the second quarter. It's not done. You got a lot more time to play this game. And that's what another thing that people mistake with the shame game. The shame game wants us to feel like there's a finite amount of time that you have to figure this problem out. If you can't answer it within the next 20 minutes or within the 24 hours, then you, you need to submit. It's done. You lost the game. When in reality, it takes at least a couple hours, 24 hours, multiple days to really process and understanding what the heck our feelings were telling us anyways. Because we all know feelings, intense feelings go up, shame go up. Our ability to think rationally and logically goes down. Takes a little while for that teeter-totter, that seesaw to kind of balance itself out. So and is a great tool, but I want to give you two more. Or and however. So and or or the word however are the three words that are principles that if you start with this word, that's the pivot in the conversation to take it from submitting to the shame game versus seeing options of how you can navigate and eventually win the shame game. So I'll give you an example. Teenager comes to their parent, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, no one's going to want to date me, I won't be able to get into college, and they just go on this horrible just self-deprecation, they're just, just really hard on themselves. Parent using this tool can look at their child, sit there, listen to what they're saying, give a couple statements like, huh, you know me, I actually kind of low-key want to jump in and like, Tell you how beautiful you are and how smart you are because the old me would have done that just to like make you feel like, like, please, like, don't believe that about yourself. But you know what? I realized something. Every time I do that, I'm freaking out. I'm scared. And that probably doesn't give you a lot of confidence that I believe that you're not stupid and you're intelligent and you're attractive and likable. So I'm just going to sit here and listen to you. And then when we get done talking, I might say a couple of things to help you remember who you really are or maybe see yourself the way me and other people see you just a little interjection allow your teenager situation to continue to talk about themselves in negative light as you sit there and just pay attention listen and show them that you can be comfortable with their shame and once they get done you can say something like hey like i said i'm not going to try to convince you to say that and I just thought it might be helpful if I remind you of a couple wins that you had that you probably don't remember right now. Cause I know for me, whenever I'm feeling down and out, I don't remember my wins. I don't remember my losses. You can also say after they say something really negative about themselves, well, yeah, you're just my parent. You know, you have to say that stuff to me. It's like, or 
I'm a person who really cares about you, invest my whole entire life to your success, that just happened to give birth to you. Right? That's a clever comeback. The however one is you can tell them, say, yeah, it seems true. That makes sense. You failed the test. Your grades are down. Someone said no to you to the dance. Like all these series of events. It's true. If I were you, I'd, I'd feel down. I'd feel hopeless about the future as well. However, pretty sure I checked the mail last week and you got four acceptance letters from colleges. Now, I know you may not have gotten it from the college you want yet, but to say no one wants you? Yeah, I don't know if that's a true statement or not. But hey, I, I understand that's how you feel, but I think I might disagree with that one. See, and, or, however, they just pivot. They just take the, it's like the railroad tracks going this way, too. And all of a sudden the conductor just switches it and all of a sudden the track's going in a totally different direction. It happens so fast. It happens so quick. It does not solve the problem of their self-doubt, their shame, their insecurities. But what it does do is it stops the shame game from, it stops the bleeding. It stops the downward spiral of if I can't do this, then I can't do that. If I can't do that, I might as well surrender on homework, on everything in my whole entire life because that's what our emotions tell us. If we can't figure out the one problem, then that means we can't figure out 30 problems, which is not true. Just because we can't figure out one problem doesn't mean that 20 or 30 other ones we're not capable of figuring out. Just that one, it's got us trapped. Like we're stuck in this situation. So, and, however, or those are my three favorite words, to pivot someone out of shame and that someone can be you as well. If you feel yourself going down that shame category, you can say, however, um, even though I feel worthless and I feel like nobody wants me, um, my wife hasn't filed for divorce yet, so I guess that's a positive. <laughs> or, uh, you know, I'm scared to lose my job and they haven't fired me yet. We can use a little light humor with the or, the however, or and the and to just pivot just enough because like anything, like when we feel we're constrained and trapped, we don't need to completely escape. We just need a little breathing room. We just need to create a little bit of space so that there's a little bit of, of room for logic, rational thoughts, and a whole lifetime experience to creep back into our brain to let us know, hey, you can be freaking out and it's not over yet. The game's still going. You got plenty quarters left of this game. So as you talk about that, um, we have a box here that that says how to diffuse fame, shame. And I think that, you know, as he's kind of been talking through this, he's kind of shared this. Um, I didn't give you my favorite one, though. Okay, well then. Okay, how to diffuse shame? The best way to do it? Let's just take starts like this. This is the sentence I give everybody. When shame's beating you up and taking out the path, how you flip around is you have to say, or you don't have to say, but this is my go-to. It's true. I do feel worthless. I do feel horrible. And then whatever it is you feel worthless or horrible about, I want you to imagine a spiral staircase. Do you remember me talking about this mm -hmm. a long time ago? You're at the top of the spiral staircase and the spiral staircase is really ground level. That's a level. And then you go walking down the spiral staircase and every level you go down, it's every level is after you say it's true. Every level you go down to is basically like because of this, it's true. And then because I made this mistake, that's true. Of course I feel horrible because I lost this job. This happened. No one liked me. 
And as you're acknowledging all these faults, failures, whatever it may be, mishaps, you're walking down this spiral staircase. But when you get to the bottom floor, the parking lot, like fifth level of the parking lot, you realize just by stating it's true, I do feel this way about all these specific feelings, you dropped off all the luggage that you were carrying down to that bottom floor. And now you can turn around and walk back up the spiral staircase without that luggage. The journey down is heavy because it's pulling you down. But once you shrug it and get it off your shoulders, now when you look back up, it's like that walk up without that luggage is way easier than the walk down with it. So that's why the sentence has to be something like, it's true. Because this happened, it made me feel like this. Because I feel like this, it makes me want to give up at this. Because it makes me want to give up at this, it makes me feel worthless and insecure and helpless. <sighs> with all my clients, I have them just sit right there, take a deep breath, don't hang out there too long because then you'll start really overthinking it. And then you say, however, the fact that I'm realizing right now that these feelings take me down to a horrible mood, a horrible place is a lot better than I've done in the past. The reality of it is, is I've never known how to dissect my problems the way I'm doing right now. Yeah, I'm still beating myself up and I'm hard on myself because I have high expectations. Although my high expectations aren't set because I don't feel like I'm capable. My expectations are set because I've been told my whole life I've been capable. It's me that's doubting my process and doubting my ability. Once you start to walk back up, you're free of the initial feelings of I'm not good enough. And now you have options to consider. So that is my go-to is you just got to accept it. Now it's called face, replace, and connect. You face your shame by saying, it's true. I feel like a piece of crap. I feel like I'm a horrible mom. I feel like I'm a horrible dad. Dit, 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 dit. <sighs> However, Department of Child Family Services haven't taken my kids from me. My wife hasn't left me, at least not that I'm aware of, right? Uh, my, my kids still listen to me sometimes. My job hasn't fired me yet. Okay. Maybe what I'm feeling, what I'm going through right now is because I do give a damn and I don't want to give up. That's where you start to connect and then you go, okay, now what can I do about it? I can make a better meal for my kids. I can apologize for being an idiot last night when I got all defensive because I was in a bad mood. Just start going back and taking action. That's why face it, replace it. So you're facing the shame and replacing it with reality. Shame is based in feelings and feelings try to make connections with things that happen in your life to make you feel that the shame is warranted. It's just a feeling. There's no, there's nothing that says that you can't be ashamed of something and be proud of something else at the exact same time. Shame is a state of mind. It's a feeling. It's a belief system and a narrative that's grown because people have said horrible things to your whole life. Maybe you're abused as a child. And so their shame was inherited by you. And that's what you got. Some people inherit money. Some people inherit shame. Okay. It's different for everybody. I'm more on the latter one, right? So once you get in that understanding of that, this is a narrative that was given to me. I get to choose my narrative moving forward from here on out. That's where you can model your shame better, how to deal with shame with your kids better, because not having shame is not realistic. So I, I love that you use the face it, replace it, and connect. We've talked about that, um, and, it, and it resonates. So honestly, 
we've said this before. When you talk about shame, when you put in the light, it just doesn't have as much power. And I like that you said it's just a, it's just a feeling. It's just a feeling. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It doesn't. It's not good. It is. Face it, replace it, and connect. I like that a lot. I mean, one compliment could change your day from feeling I think I look ugly to I'm not that bad. <laughs> just one compliment. Yeah. Even if you don't even know the person that well. Yeah. I was counseling a woman recently. She's like, yeah, this guy tried to hit on me at a gas station, wasn't attracted to him, wasn't anything like that. But because my husband hasn't given me a compliment in 20 years, I'm like, it felt really good. And I was having a bad day. So I'm like, how's your day? It's actually really bad. It's good. I'm like, it's good. She hasn't said it. She's had a good day in months. And she's like, I got a weird, totally random, cheesy comment. He complimented the lady at the stall next to me right after me. So I didn't feel special. But hey, I used it. It was a win. And so she used that to change around her shame from feeling she's unattractive. Like, hey, at least there's one other person out there in the world that finds me attractive. By the way, she's not trying to get divorced. I'm not trying to tell you divorce. But for her, it was just a, just a quick little pivot. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, and you, and in our original episode, several times you said, you know, yeah, you might feel like that, but it also might not be the whole reality. It yeah. might not be the whole story. And yeah, so, which leads us to the last part of um, our worksheet for today. If you look at your uh, PDF download, it says victim versus assertive vulnerability. This one's really simple, but it's 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 pretty eye-opening to a lot of people when they hear it. I'm going off again, piggybacking off of all the great work that Brene Brown has done. Um, one thing that when I was, when I was going, because I went to some of her seminars and I was kind of listening to what she was doing, one thing that I picked up upon that people, including myself, in the seminar had a hard time differentiating was how do I look at vulnerability? Well, now that I'm looking at vulnerability as a superpower and a strength, which it can be, a lot of people would say, okay, now everybody else in my life has to see vulnerability as a great asset and a great tool. So a lot of moms, a lot of parents would go to their kids, be vulnerable, be vulnerable, go to their husbands. You just need to be vulnerable with me. And they're looking at them saying, I didn't take no Brene Brown course. I didn't read her book. So I'll take a pass on the vulnerability thing because to me that still means don't do it. That's scary. You're open, easily exposed, easily hurt. So I want to give you this information that's worked with my clients for a long time to help se separate and differentiate between the two different types of vulnerability. If you look in the definition and really dig deep in the definition of vulnerability like I've done, you see these two definitions really within the same word. One is easily exposed to be hurt, like easily hurt. Like you're put out there where like you do not have any safety net around you. There's no walls built around you. You are a victim in the waiting. You're just waiting to be victimized, okay? Now that I've deemed and I've termed victim vulnerability. Helpless, hopeless, weak, damned if I do, damned if I don't. But thankfully, there's another definition of vulnerability. And this is the one that Brene Brown and all of us would prefer to use, which is assertive vulnerability. Now, my definition of assertive vulnerability simply is a bold expression of your most sincere thoughts, genuine feelings, and opinions without attempting to create confrontation or to pick a fight with someone. So, or even win somebody over. When you're being assertively vulnerable, you're not standing up to the evil person. You're not saying, well, I'm not going to take this anymore. No, that's actually not what assertive vulnerability is. Assertive vulnerability says, I'm going to share with you how I really feel. I'm going to take some time to put my words together just right. Whether I text it, whether I say it, whether I write them a letter, I'm going to share with you, hey, I don't know how you feel. 
I can only share with you how I feel. I'm not going to tell you how to feel, but I can tell you how I feel. And here's how I feel. I feel like what you did the other day really hurt my feelings. And I don't know if it was intentional. It was accidental. I don't know what's going on. But for me to just hold this in and not tell you that it hurt my feelings, that would cause a rift in our relationship because I tend to err on the side of if someone hurt me, I don't tell them because I don't want drama. And then I resent them. I pull away from that person. And then I make that person an enemy of me. I make them pay. Right? Or out of resentment, I want retribution, want revenge. So to avoid that whole process happening, I want to tell you, hope you can forgive me if you take offense to this, but I really do just feel that that hurt my feelings. So just want to let you know that's how I felt. You're not saying, so don't you want to tell me something now? Oh, it's your turn now. Because at that time, that person may not be wanting to be vulnerable, assertively vulnerable. That person may not want to take them, hold themselves accountable. They may still have a grudge or anger towards you, but it's an invitation. But the cool thing about vulnerability is you got to be vulnerable to even be available to connect with another person. So if you make yourself vulnerable, you're just showing your card. You're saying, hey, here's what I got. Let's just, if, let's just repeat that one more time. He said this a lot of times, but you have to be vulnerable to be available for a connection. So, or more specifically, I like that you said it's an invitation. You have to be assertively vulnerable to even be available to connect with someone. If you're victim vulnerable, it sounds like this. You know, you really hurt my feelings, what you said last night. And, you know, to be totally honest, like, you do this all the time. And it really pissed me off. And I think I'm going to have to, you know, like, separate myself from you and, and I can't talk to you for a little while because you're toxic and you're unhealthy for me to be around. <laughs> That's victim vulnerability 101. Victims are not thinking about their strength in the future. Victims are really thinking about what happened to them in the present and how they need to protect themselves from that happening again. Now, real actual victims, I'm not talking about real victims. I'm talking about a victim state of mind, right? I'm not talking about like someone that like got hit by a drunk driver and they're scared of driving on the freeway after that. Well, that makes sense, right? But when we feel that we have that identity of I'm a victim vulnerable, then that means we've learned somehow in some way that by making other people feel bad for how they make us feel, somehow that's an advantage and we get a win. That doesn't win because we don't connect through that. Nobody connects through shaming one another and making fun of someone or mocking someone or ridiculing someone. So in this one, victim vulnerability is what we want to avoid. Assertive vulnerability is what we want to exercise and we want to practice. And it just so happens the tools of the and, the or, the however, and the other tool about the face and replace, those are all principles of how to be able to enact assertive vulnerability in your dialogue and in your relationships. And if you can't do this for yourself in your own head, you can model it. Then it's hard to. Oh help. yeah, you you can't model it. Yeah. It, it it's hard to help your kids learn this skill as well. And so, as as always with everything, you have to start with yourself. You can only make changes in yourself. And we already know that everybody has shame. It's different levels. It's about different things. It's it's associated with different issues. But you can you can start here, and as you move through some of these suggestions of of winning, of diffusing, of using these tools, acknowledging for yourself, then you're going to be way more comfortable and proficient 
when it comes to helping your kids in in their dark times. And just in final closing states for me, I just want to say that um, using shame to motivate people by like actually shaming them, um, that that's a that's slippery slope. Every now and then you get lucky and you know, some parents are like, yeah, well me and my kids, we have that relationship where I can just tell them exactly how I feel and, 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 and they respond well to it. Well, do you allow them to shame you back? That's a no. So if you get lucky every now and then and use shame and you're one of those old school parents that you need to feel like you de they deserve to give you a pound of flesh for every mistake that they've made. Well, then what you're doing is you're taking a gamble with very low odds that they're going to learn anything from that experience except for you're a jerk. And you're controlling and you're not sensitive to what their experience is, what they're going through. Now, you can still be an old school parent, bootstrap it up, work hard every single day without using shame to as a vehicle because they're already doing enough shaming themselves. If you can be the parent that sits with them while they're shaming themselves instead of trying to save it to them, but use some of these tools to help pivot to give them a new outlet to be able to escape from that. Well, then now what you're doing is you're modeling A, their shame isn't life-threatening and damaging because you're sitting with it. And B, when you give them these and however tools, they will pick up on those words. Modeling it is better than teaching it because they're not going to sit there and say, give me a lesson on how not to shame myself. But if you just say, hey, I don't blame you for feeling this way. And you know, I felt that way earlier today and I feel better now. You've had those feelings before and you've changed around. So I'm betting that you're going to change around again, but it sucks while you're going through it. That's so much better. That's an active role playing of like, this is how you get through shame instead of, oh my gosh, I got to make sure you never feel shame. Yeah. Like I said, there was a lot in this. <laughs> and we really got David back rolling through this. So um, thank you for, for that. Well, thanks for putting together all this stuff so I didn't have to do anything. I just sit here and ramble and on. And just fire hoses out, man. Yeah, just. Anyway. Well, it's I, summertime. You got to hive, hive the, you know, pop the fire. What is it. the the uh, fire hydrant? Remember back in the day, you could just crank that, pop that open, have a free water slide, slip and slide park. Not in, not in the drought times. Well, no, and also, I think people have enough money where they can get around that. Back in the day, you know, <laughs> that's all we had. Like, that was our water. You want to go to this water slide park? All right, get the, get the wrench and take off the fire, you know, the fire thing again. So, <laughs> slip and slide was just a tarp with water on it. Oh, man. You guys, I'm excited about this. I hope that as you listened and as you wrote, that maybe that there was more clarity, that, that you grabbed a few more nuggets um, and... I want to just encourage you to just put some three whole punches in this and just, you know, put it right into a binder. Um, you know, I don't know. Someone's going to say, can we get this in a digital format so that I can digitally take notes on this in my iPad? Which so is actually very can, easy to do. You for can us, very easily. Don't listen to Heidi. Heidi making that sound like PDF? that's a hard thing. It's not hard at all. You just open the PDF on your Procreate and just take notes if you'd like. That. It can be digital as well. All but right. I really recommend handwriting in any event. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Except after I write two sentences with my with a pen, my hand cramps up. So uh reps. You just gotta get the reps. I'll get the reps, that's true. All right. All right. You guys thank you for listening. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being a patron. Um, and thank you for helping us to light the fight.